Welcome to the Fed Heads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the Fed Heads each week as Robert Shea and a celebrity guest host talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome to another episode of Fed Heads. My name's Robert Shea. And I'm Doug Crisitello. Welcome back to episode 204. Um, you were, you and I were just discussing what in the world do you do to help prevent or prepare for a ransomware attack? Yeah, it's a huge challenge facing government agencies, local governments, and there are no easy answers that I know of. So oh, I'm hoping oh, maybe we'll get some Oh, I today. think I think we've got the answer woman with All us right. today. Director of Cybersecurity and Secure Digital Innovation at the White House National Security Council, Carol House. Carol, thanks for being with us today. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to talk to you about ransomware and anything else I'm working on. Sometimes you wish you were on a TV show and people could see the room from which you're broadcasting, which is this spectacular, gilded war room in the Eisenhower Executive Office Building. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. Um, we used to have board game nights uh, before a pandemic, so there's really nothing cooler than playing uh, Risk or Settlers of Catan in the Secretary of War suite. Oh, that's awesome. So tell us what it is you do do. Great. Uh, so with the, the National Security Council, I work for the Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber and Emerging Tech and Newberger. Specifically, I help drive the U.S. counter ransomware strategy. Um, I'm also the lead for our work on digital assets, including cryptocurrencies and a U.S. central bank digital currency, um, including the, the executive order that just came out. I had the privilege of being a big part of that. Um, I'm also helping to support our digital identity work. So let's jump into it. I, you know, I want to hear, I'm a, you know, quite a few of our listeners are in the realm of government financial management. I'd love to hear your thoughts if posed with a, a question of how do I avoid a ransomware attack? Great question. Um, so first I would say um, that just basic cyber hygiene and good Good due diligence on that front will help you to defend yourself against ransomware. Um, one of the major culprits is often something like an identity compromise um, or the fact that uh, that institutions have not successfully backed up their systems or, um, or encrypted data um, or that they don't implement basic uh, practices like cyber hygiene um, and, and multi-factor authentication. So there's a lot of different practices, and um, uh, including some specific measures that DNSA Newberger highlighted to CEOs in a letter last summer after the Colonial Pipeline incident, entreating industry to try to implement backup plans, test your security plan and your incident response plan, um, make sure that you have backup systems and that you're working with your whole team to make sure that it's functioning properly. Some of these basic practices are the kinds of things that can help make sure that you are a hardened target and not the entity that these ransomware criminals decide to go after. So you mentioned an executive order. What are some of the big initiatives you're driving to mature the nation's posture around uh, cybersecurity? Great. Well, the uh, the executive order on improving the nation's cybersecurity was a really great milestone and kind of the president's down payment on um, on his cyber strategy. So there's uh, there's a lot of key uh, elements in there, including trying to improve supply chain security. Um, making sure that there's more coordinated incident response that's put in place. Um, so there's there's a lot of 
different, a lot of different measures that are included in the EO, but also we've been implementing industrial control systems initiatives to work specifically with different parts of critical infrastructure to implement basic cyber hygiene practices. So we've worked with um, with natural gas pipeline, electricity subsector, that's been wildly successful. Uh, providers for over 90 million Americans have already implemented basic monitoring controls in order to make sure that they can really understand better what's on their networks. And having visibility is really the, the first key step that you need in order to understand what's happening on your networks and then to effectively be able to defend against what's targeting your systems and understanding the scope uh, and of your vulnerabilities and what you have to defend against. So that vulnerability for making sure that you've got appropriate visibility is a key priority for the administration that we've been driving. Um, and we're very much uh, excited about the incident reporting legislation that just got passed to make sure that we'll continue to have enhanced visibility when critical infrastructure is being targeted with cybercrime. Did you see that, Doug? She was giddy about <laughs> incident reporting legislation. You are exactly the sweet spot of FedHeads. That's right. Well, that's Doesn't just... everyone love regulation? Right. <laughs> Well, that's such a fascinating topic, though, incident reporting, because there has been this track record of, uh, you know, victims of cyber attacks not wanting anyone to know about it, right? So could you talk a little bit about the objectives of that legislation? Yeah, and I do understand the, the different equities that companies are weighing. They're concerned about reputational risk, um, as well as just sensitive information getting out when they've been compromised. But unfortunately, like I mentioned before, having visibility of your systems and what's happening is really the first key step to making sure that you can take effective steps to both defend your systems and then also to effectively counter and deter that illicit activity that's coming after you. So that's really the driving force behind the need for improved incident reporting. Um, we do get some reporting, but we've needed that critical visibility for critical infrastructure providers. So when that was passed recently, um, that, that legislation was critical. So now um, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency at DHS will be going through a rulemaking process to clarify um, what kind of, of cybersecurity um, incident information has to be reported by whom, as well as ransomware payment information getting reported to CISA. Um, so all of that will be coming, um, I'm sure, over the next few years will be evolving into a really great ecosystem that will ensure that the U.S. government um, has better visibility on what's happening to those providers of key critical services um, for Americans. So uh, other industries aren't called out in your title, but digital innovation is. You know, why is that called out specifically? What's the intersection of cybersecurity and digital innovation? Great. Uh, so first I'll say that um, digital innovation needs to be secure. Um, just like in the EO uh, and a critical point that DNSA Newberger has been hitting on as well as Chris Inglis and Jen Easterly, you need to make sure that software is, is secure, is developed securely. Um, that's true with telecommunications <laughs> networks and systems and 5G solutions. It's true with cryptocurrency ecosystems, um, and that's a critical part of my portfolio, um, as well as identity solutions. Um, one of the, the key vulnerabilities that we see, whether in cybercrime when networks are being targeted, but also a vulnerability in, in cryptocurrency ecosystems is sort of this absence of either identity being baked in or of strong identity solutions being present um, in, in financial ecosystems um, or, uh, or on institutions' networks. So um, I think there's a really interesting intersection between, um, between cryptocurrency identity and cybersecurity. So for those specific parts of digital innovation, um, and there's some other areas that I've covered as well, but those are my primary focus. Um, we just see 
the need to make sure that innovation, which stokes job growth, it stokes competition, it stokes um, really amazing use cases. Um, it's a big part of how we will pro provide services and maintain U.S. leadership in the financial system, as well as just on the international stage. Uh, but we can't do that. We can't innovate uh, without without baking in without baking in security, just like we need to with with software. It's a little bit off the beaten path, but I'm curious as to whether the war in Ukraine has shifted your thinking on cryptocurrency regulations specifically. So this is a favorite topic because I um, I come from FinCEN, the, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network at Treasury, which has been the lead regulator for cryptocurrency for um, about a decade now. So all like illicit finance, anti-money laundering and countering financing of terrorism regulations are administered by FinCEN. Um, and we've regulated money. Uh, we've regulated uh, virtual currency exchanges as money services businesses uh, since at least 2011. Um, so since then, there have been obligations for cryptocurrency systems to implement know your customer obligations, um, suspicious activity reporting and monitoring and implementing controls to reasonably prevent their platforms from being used and exploited for money laundering. Um, that continues to hold true today. The greatest vulnerability that we see, which is which I believe is also a great vulnerability that we have to look to in the context of the Russia-Ukraine situation, the absence of effective international regulation of cryptocurrency. Given the highly distributed um, operating models of these assets um, and the global reach for immediate cross-border value transfer, um, it's critical to make sure that uh, exchanges that are operating overseas, even if they're regulated in the U.S., it can be very hard to enforce that um, so there's so many of them, there's thousands of assets, there's thousands of service providers. We need the rest of the international community to implement anti-money laundering controls for cryptocurrency uh, consistent with the standards that um, that were adopted by the Financial Action Task Force. So I think still pointing to the fact that the same key vulnerability exists that allows for these assets to be exploited in illicit finance uh, remains true. I'll say that in, in the context of, um, of the Russia situation, um, the U.S. government remains vigilant to make sure that uh, that there are are not tools and avenues that are available for Russia uh, uh, and especially Russian elites to, and and the state to be able to use them to evade and offset the impact of the sanctions that the U.S. and international partners have put in place. Um, cryptocurrency as a market probably doesn't have the liquidity to support at scale sanctions evasion for a state, but it is a tool. It's it's one of a yeah. suite of tools that can be used. So just like banks just like any other money services business or financial institution, um, we expect cryptocurrency exchanges to stand guard um, to make sure that they're not facilitating sanctioned transactions and report suspicious activity. So should I buy Bitcoin or Ethereum? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> the, um, the, tell me about the future of crypto regulation and where NSC or FinCEN fit relative to SEC and CFPB. Um, so that's a great question. Under under the executive order for ensuring responsible development of digital assets, um, the, the president really laid out the fact that all of these agencies have to work together. A comprehensive strategic approach to making sure that this sector that is growing, it is significant, it reached a $3 trillion market cap uh, last, last year. Um, we have to make sure that it starts implementing and building in and being held accountable to the kinds of guardrails and protections that you need, just like any other financial system. So I, I think that you'll continue to see FinCEN, you know, taking the lead um, on the anti-money laundering front. Um, you've seen lots of action from OFAC uh, in in implementing sanctions um, and enforcing sanctions and issuing uh, compliance guidance as well. 
Um, I was very excited by their compliance guidance last fall. Where they excited the by their compliance guidance. Excited by their compliance yeah. guidance. You got to like that language. Hey, you know, when the regulations are to counter money launderers and terrorist financers, like I, you know, I dare you to find a cooler regulatory regime uh, than the <laughs> AML framework. Um, but obviously I love FinCEN's uh, framework. So yeah, there's, um, there's, I, I think they're like looking to constitute the CFPB um, and their leadership for ensuring consumer protection. Um, of course, the SEC and CFTC have been very active for, for quite some time um, on the capital markets regulation for cryptocurrency in this space. So um, that combined with working with the banking agencies and then all the rest of the interagency, um, like you have DOD, you have DHS, um, you have the National Science Foundation, um, USAID state, some really interesting players uh, that are all a part of the interagency process established in the EO. So I think besides regulatory action, we're going to see a lot of really interesting work um, and ideas that are brought to the table across the interagency. So is it just me or is the list of concerns for the NSC growing rapidly? Mm. I would add to that question, tell us about the NSC. It's probably a big black box, somewhat intentionally maybe, to, to a lot of people. <laughs> but the but you're, you're hearing that phrase that this is really a national security issue, whether it's the pandemic, climate change, cybersecurity, the list seems to be growing. I think so. I, I guess I, I do feel like I've seen a lot of consistency um, out of the administration on a lot of key issues that are important to us. like. Um, you know, prioritizing issues like under the Democracy Summit. Um, yes, there's a lot of different aspects that fall underneath that, things like countering corruption, um, but that's, you know, it's it's all a part of the same key priority that uh, I believe President Biden and um, Vice President Harris have set out for us from the beginning. Um, on the cybersecurity and emerging tech side, that's been a key priority clearly from uh, from the administration, both in like the, the structure and the, the leaders that have been put in place, um, also priority for Congress in establishing the Office of the National Cyber Director. So um, I guess for us, you know, certainly the, um, you know, Russia's unprovoked further invasion right. of Ukraine uh, was, you know, continued to grow or expand the, the yeah, extent yeah. of concerns yeah. with Russia. But Yeah, yeah. I, so I was looking long, like over the last several decades, not just has oh, the list okay. grown over in, during the Biden administration. It just seems to me the list of concerns has, has yeah. is longer now than it was 25 years ago. Yeah, I think that's really insightful. Um, that may point to with just the, the increasing digital nature and interconnectedness right. of the world. A lot of different things have um, have implications for other national security threats. Um, we see with the digital asset work that domestic regulatory decisions and frameworks can have international and national security implications, which is why the National Economic Council and National Security Council are co-chairing um, the, the Interagency Policy Committee stand, stood up under the EO. So uh, I think you're right that probably just that the growing nature and issue of um, right. and paradigm shift of decentralization, growing digital economies um, mean that a lot of things can um, can have implications for national security, um, including on the cybersecurity side, certainly. Yeah. So we're running out of time. Is there a trend within your portfolio that you find most troubling that we should be monitoring most closely? Hmm. I guess I'm especially interested to see, uh, well, the fact that weak identity solutions continue to be compromised. They're a major culprit in ransomware incidents, a major culprit in uh, the way that financial platforms like cryptocurrency are able to be exploited um, by illicit actors because of a failure to embed or think about things like identity. Um, so I, I think that just that 
there's there's a lot of interest from the administration. Uh, we showcased after the State of the Union address that there will be an executive order on preventing identity theft uh, coming out in the coming weeks. Um, so there's a lot of interest in you know trying to, to drive areas to prevent identity theft, to strengthen identity ecosystems. Um, identity plays a huge role in the zero trust strategy that came out. Um, I think that that the concerns about the fact that identity continues to be compromised is something that's of great concern to me and to the administration. Um, but also I think that there's a lot of really interesting areas for the government to insert ourselves and for industry to be able to drive development of secure, trustworthy and interoperable identity solutions. Well, good luck with that. Sounds like you've got your work cut out for you on that. Thank you. Thanks uh, so much for being with us. We're wishing you the best of luck. A lot of menacing issues to deal with, and we're glad you're there. And it's such important work. Thank you for your service. Great. Thanks for the opportunity to chat with everybody and talk about the coolest uh, regulatory framework. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to The Fed Heads, brought to you by Grant Thornton Public Sector. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Twitter at GT Public Sector to join the conversation. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes.